electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hello, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Here is what's ahead on The Exchange. Get ready for tax hikes with stimulus done and infrastructure on the books. Is there any way to avoid the IRS coming for you? Biden advisor Jared Bernstein is here. Hot stocks on fire. More states considering legalization. We'll speak with cannabis company Columbia Care about the industry following another record year. And 2021 Players' Champion winner Justin Thomas will join us. His win, his investments, and how the game has changed one year after the pandemic began. Plus, rapid fire all coming up. But right now, let's kick it off with the markets and your money. And another guy who's got a pretty good short game, one that I soft myself, and he beat me by like 32 strokes. Dom Chu <laughs> is here now with Don't Rub It In. We'll play again. We will play. Me. We will play again. But here's what I would say. I think you're embellishing it just a little bit. We had a competitive round on your home course. We'll do it at my home course the next time. We'll see what happens. But yes, the short game aside, this is what's happening with the markets right now. Very balanced. You could call it a waiting, holding pattern, if you will. If interest rates really are the driving force behind a lot of the volatility, it would make sense for some traders and investors to wait for a for-the-record statement from the Federal Reserve later on tomorrow before they do any kind of real movements in their portfolios. Hence, you've got a Dow that's down just about one-third of 1% coming from record highs. The S&P 500, again, near record levels right now, 39.71, and the Nasdaq Composite up about two-thirds of 1% as well. A couple places to watch in the market right now. Check out what's happening with the retail-oriented stocks because we got a weaker-than-expected retail sales number earlier this morning. Weather is somewhat of a factor, but it's given some traders and investors a reason to take profits in a very winning trade over the last several months. Darden Restaurants is coming off record highs. It's off about 4%. It owns the Olive Garden. Tapestry, another retail-oriented company, off about 2.5%. Ralph Lauren off 3%. And the overall retail ETF, the Equal Weight XRT, That's the ticker off about 2% as well. Caveat there, GameStop is a huge part of that particular trade. And then a winning trade as of the last couple of weeks. Check out what's happening with the semiconductor stocks because they were leaders on the way down from the recent highs and they bounced back. The semiconductors ETF ticker SMH actually fell by about 16% from recent highs to lows. It's bounced back 11% now. But look at the ETF there. Applied Materials, one of the biggest gainers in the S&P today, and Micron as well. All of these on a year-to-date basis have recovered pretty strongly from their recent highs to lows back up to where we are now. So, Brian, retail and semiconductors, and I'll be watching for any tips on the short game from Justin Thomas later on. We'll see you. All good stuff. Three for three. Dom Chu wouldn't expect anything less. And by the way, that's about what he beat me by. Dom, thank you. All right. On a more serious note, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan just beginning to find its way into the economy and to your bank accounts And as the ink dries on the bill, the administration can now turn its attention to infrastructure and potentially taxes. Joining us now to talk about it is Jared Bernstein. He is a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Jared, it's good to chat with you again. Uh, There's so much to unpack here. A lot of headlines about potential stimulus and about the potential for either corporate and or personal income tax hikes. What can you tell us? Are tax increases on the way? Well, uh, let's not get 
too ahead of ourselves here. I will speak to that question. It's a good one. It's an important one. And I have an answer for you. Uh, but uh, as you said, the uh, American Rescue Plan has been legislated. It is now upon the land. And we're talking about 100 million shots in arms and 100 million checks in pockets. Uh, that's one of the president's near-term goals. His help is here tour is out there today with the president and vice president out uh, in the country uh, explaining what this package is going to do. Emphasizing small businesses today with $15 billion in flexible grants to some of our smallest most severely impacted businesses, many of whom have been left out uh, by earlier parts of the measure, including $28 billion for a, a new grant program to support some of our hardest hit small restaurants, you know, areas that were hardest hit by the pandemic. Now, what you're talking about, this, this is yeah. deficit finance. What you're talking about is building back better infrastructure, clean energy, more permanent programs in the child care and elder care space. And the president has consistently said that permanent programs should be paid for to enhance their fiscal sustainability. And that is the that is the uh, future agenda. We're not there to unpack it yet, but that uh, that that he has uh, been forthright about. The, the $25 billion for restaurants, Jared, let's focus there. And I understand how legislation works. It's very hard to use a scalpel when sometimes all you have is a sledgehammer. I get it. I get it. However, was there any discussion internally about instead of $1,400 for everybody, where the majority of American families, let's be honest, they don't, they don't need it. They don't need it. They're, they're, that's, that's not me. That's Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank. You know, there's 30 million families that desperately need more because they yeah. were wiped out. Is there any conversations about, as opposed to fourteen hundred bucks for for everybody, well, ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars for those in restaurants or others that got obliterated? So. I think we have kind of a fundamental disagreement on the targeting of the plan. It's not 28, by the way, 28 billion for all restaurants. It's 28 billion for the hardest hit restaurants. And if you look at the checks, I've got a number uh, for you to throw out that I don't think has been widely uh, appreciated. Uh, the Tax Policy Center, which does, you know, really top shelf work on this kind of distributional outcome, uh, uh, they, they found that the after tax increase for families with kids in the bottom fifth, so the bottom quintile, their after-tax income increase was 35%. For the middle class, 9%. For the top 1%, zero. I consider that to be a targeting that is very much commensurate with who's experienced the pain of, uh, of this pandemic and who still is, particularly in the small business sector. Paycheck protection programs, of which the ARP, uh, the rescue plan adds over $7 billion, that's not reached the kind of mom and pop, small businesses, black and brown entrepreneurs that the president has pulled for uh, ever since he uh, started talking about that. And so that's another improvement here. So I think the targeting is better than your, your comments suggest. Well, okay, but Jared, you, you know, this is, you came on an economics program. You're going to deal with people that actually understand the tax code as I do. And I will tell you this, what you're saying is correct, obviously. I would expect nothing less. But there's a difference between the stimulus checks and the increase in the earned income tax credit. It's not only size, but it's availability. Those, I think, are more factored into the numbers that you are referring to, which is that EITC aid, not only for people with kids, but people without kids, it goes up and it expands it. And most people I talk to in D.C. believe it will be extended forever. Have we seen the beginning? Maybe these are, I don't know, dirty letters for you, Jared. Have we seen the beginning of a universal basic income? 
Well, uh, no, in the sense that I was saying before, I take universal basic income to mean universal. Everybody gets, you know, something like the same amount. But of course, the packages that we've been talking about all have phase outs. And in fact, in the final deal in the Senate, the phase out for the checks actually became steeper. So again, if I'm talking about the tax policy center numbers, those are all in after tax numbers. I'm not pulling out the checks or the unemployment or the EITC or the child tax. That's all in. 35% for families with kids, boost in after-tax income in the bottom fifth, zero at the top 1%. That doesn't sound like universal basic income. Well, I don't even mean in a bad way, Jared. It's certainly there, there has been many other people who you've seen who have suggested this is sort of the, uh, the way into that as well. Whatever People may love it. They may dislike it. Either way, yeah. let's be clear, it does help those people in need a great deal. Agreed on that. Well, you know, I'm going to ask you to step point. outside of the federal government a bit. Uh, you know as well as I do, you can't grow an economy until people can go to work. Millions of people can't go to work because their kids can't go to school. I understand these are state and local decisions, Jared. I get it, so you may not want to go after them. But has there been any conversation from the top levels of your office or the White House or anybody to schools that remain mostly or entirely closed and said, what do we have to do to yes. open you back up? This is such a great point. Uh, you couldn't be more correct. And it's a point that's getting a little bit lost as everyone's kind of looking around the next corner at reopening, re-engaging with commerce. There's actually a lot that has to happen between now and then. And this, again, is where the American Rescue Plan comes into play and where the Help Is Here tour that the president and vice president are out on are touting precisely this. They're not going out into America just to sell the plan. They're going out there to talk to the folks who have to implement it. And in fact, We've made a, an increasing uh, emphasis on implementation recently, uh, uh, getting Gene Sperling on board, who's going to help with that. It's a very important part of the plan, something Biden has muscle memory of from the old days back in the Recovery Act. And when it comes to safely reopening schools, when it comes to controlling the virus, when it comes to the fundamentals of, of producing and distributing the vaccine, we have to work from federal to state to local with, you know, really a granular touch there. And it's something the vice pre the president did when he was the vice president. And again, it's part of his muscle memory. We don't get from where we are to where we need to be in terms of launching a reliable recovery without those steps, uh, Sully. Well, how do, but how do we do it then, Jared? I mean, what, 30% of schools never closed in person. That's the dirty secret that you don't read about yeah. in the media. 42% of kids are in school, I think, almost all day or at least most of the day around the United States. I'm talking about public schools, not just private. So how do we get you're asking, L.A. Yeah, and you're others asking the right question. to open up? You're asking the right question. So, so here's the answer. You're asking the right question. This has to be done on a granular uh, kind of first touch uh, 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 a scale. And that means that um, federal authorities cannot do what the prior administration did, which was to kind of say state and localities, you're on your own. We have to work with them logistically. And if you listen to uh, Jeff Zients, who's uh, in charge of the uh, virus logistics, along with uh, you know, a large team of folks, um, that's what you're hearing. Um, and we have the same processes in place for safely reopening the schools. We are meeting consistently with all the stakeholders, governors, uh, mayors, um, by the way, who mm -hmm. disproportionately have 
consistently, Democrat or ours, these or ours, have, have supported th this aspect of the American Rescue Plan to make sure that we implement the plan in the most effective way. We have to work with the teachers unions, we have to work with the superintendents and their organizations. All of those groups are part of these logistics. Now, I'm not saying that you know the president is meeting with every school board in the country, but he is certainly instructing his lieutenants to make sure yeah. that we're taking that kind of, of logistical approach that's uh, heretofore been lacking. Well, uh, listen, for, for the kids, for the kids and for the safe return of teachers, I hope that certainly we can do it because many districts have proven that it can be done. Let's hope it can be done. Jared Bernstein, we appreciate your time. Jared, taking some tough questions. Appreciate it. Speak to you again. Take care. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. All right. A news alert in the bond market right now. And by the way, one that could move stocks as well. This one, a 20-year auction. Let's get over to Rick Santelli for the results now. Rick, a lot of people watching that yield outcome. Yeah, very unlike that seven-year auction about three weeks ago. That was a real nasty one. This one was a spectacular auction. 24 billion, 20-year bonds. And the neat part about it is it's the 11th auction. So the 10 auction averages are strong and in place, and pretty much we beat them across the board, whether it was bid to cover a 2.51 or indirects, directs everything was solid in this auction dealers only take 21.6 percent the yield 2.29 a full two basis points below where the one issued market was trading lower yield higher price zoom 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 as i said i gave it an a uh, most likely you're going to see a little bit of a dip in yields as uh, we see right now from 161 down to 159 just because there's a bit of a tailwind, uh, you know, it's a single standalone auction, it was well bid, and it really does accentuate this notion that the Federal Reserve and the markets aren't necessarily on the same page, but for this particular auction, it certainly seemed like investors are buying into the notion that doves will fly tomorrow. Brian, back to you. Well, they, they better get it right. First off, you don't see a lot of A's from Professor Santelli. And tomorrow, the Federal Reserve on notice. Bond market has spoken. Rick Santelli, thank you. A rare A. Appreciate it. All right. Well, you may not realize, but one year ago today was the peak of the market pandemic panic. Really the true realization of what we were up against, kind of hitting us, punching us all in the face and hitting stocks and the markets in a big way. And if it seems like a thousand centuries ago, here's a reminder of just how recent it really was. As the president was speaking, the markets were closing and it was an ugly, ugly close. Worst point decline ever for the Dow Jones Industrial Average, finishing lower almost 3,000 points. A decline of 13%. For the S&P 500, down 12%, making it the worst day for stocks since 1987. The Nasdaq falling 12.3% and the Russell 2000 index of small caps down 14.3%. Every group got battered on Wall Street. Yeah, I mean, look at those percentage declines. Hard to comprehend now, but one year later, we're at record highs. Not only have we recovered all that and more, we are at record highs from any of the indexes and individual stocks. The markets and smart investors realizing last year that the combo of the pandemic that will, it will come to an end and trillions in government spending, what we just talked about, should send stocks soaring. And they have. So let's talk about where we go from here. Joining us now, Tracy McMillan, 
head of global asset allocation strategy at Wells Fargo Investment Institute, and Jeff Crumpleman, chief investment strategist and head of equities at Mariner Wealth. Tracy, I'll start with you. Not going to ask you to relive one year ago. I mean, I honestly, I was there. We were on air in a studio, barely remember it at that point because it was so dramatic. What was the the turn like around the summer or fall when everybody started to become more bullish? What was the basis behind the thinking that the markets ultimately and the economy and our lives will recover? Yeah, so we've certainly come a long ways from where we were a year ago. Uh, while we expect, you know, growth to uh, accelerate to 35-year highs this year, it, it really was not at all clear back then in March. And I think the turning point was really uh, in November when we got the news of an effective, more effective vaccine than we even imagined. So, you know, backing that up a couple months to your time frame, I think that was really when we started realizing that we were going to get a vaccine. We were starting to get more information about uh, the uh, illness itself. And we had that timeline in mind of when we might get back to some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, and, uh, and those vaccine news, I mean, honestly, hard, hard not to be a little bit emotional about that, Jeff, when when that occurred and watching the vaccines roll out. And it looks certainly like they are working with cases, hospitalizations and deaths way, way down. Let's let's keep our fingers crossed that with the variants and everything that certainly continues. It looks like it will. Let's hope only the future will tell us. That said, when we look to invest out into the future, that recovery already appears to be priced in. Now we actually have to look at the next three to five years, maybe on their own, albeit with a little help from the Federal Reserve. What looks attractive still to you and your team? Well, at the macro level, you know, I would agree that um, the, the fundamentals, the valuation levels, which are reasonable, Fundamentals that are really strong with the economy and earnings are very positive. And technically, if you look at the breadth of the market, the leadership in the market that's more aggressively oriented, not in the defensives, that, uh, you know, the outlook still looks uh, very favorable. And we maintain a positive view because of, you know, this data. And at the micro level, you know, it's just really hard at the macro level to be bearish at this point with favorable fundamentals, uh, the valuation is reasonable and the positive technicals. At the uh, stock level, we're very interested in uh, those areas that benefit from mm -hmm. reopening, secular growth. Um, and we think a balance between value and growth is very important right now. Not just a run to, to value and reopening, but some of those same drivers um, will also benefit secular growth stocks as well. So we think balance is very key. And some of those secular growth stocks are on sale um, albeit we find attractiveness in, in some of these reopening uh, plays yeah. as well. Tracy, we're rich as a nation in so many ways. We're rich in vaccines. We are the most vaccinated large nation in the world, second by population percentage among large countries. A lot of the world does not have our resources or access to vaccines. They will eventually. So do we look to emerging market investing with the idea that they will also have our path from a vaccination and a case reduction perspective. It just unfortunately may not be where we are now. 
Sure. So we do think that emerging markets presents an opportunity for investors here for the reasons that you've elaborated. Plus, we think the reflation trade is also going to be a tailwind for emerging markets and also uh, commodities. Commodities increases in in prices could also benefit other parts of emerging markets. So there are several reasons why we favor uh, higher beta parts of the market, including emerging markets. Tracy and Jeff, wish we had more time. We'll get you back both on soon. I'm sure there's a long way to go and a lot of questions that still remain. Have a great day, though. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right, on deck. Are more states ready to legalize pot? The CEO of Columbia Care is here. We'll talk more about it. And coming off his championship win, golf, golfer Justin Thomas will join us. We'll talk about the changing face of sports one year into the pandemic and the advice that Tiger Woods gave him before his victory. The exchange. Back after this, the Dow down 100. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Well, sure enough, cannabis provider Columbia Care, higher after reporting results, talk sticker CCHWF. The company went on a shopping spree last year, buying up dispensaries in California, Colorado, as well as buying Greenleaf Medical. The deal will make it one of the largest cannabis operators in a number of states that now expect revenue to double this year. And that's not even taking into consideration the possible legalization of cannabis in many other states and the legalization of pot. You're in New Jersey. Joining us now is Nicholas Vita. He is the CEO of Columbia Care, based in New York City. Nicholas, thank you very much for joining us. If you had to pinpoint a date at which the majority, there'll be a few that may not do it, but call it 40 states, legalize cannabis in some way. Any way to pinpoint when that might be? You know, I think that it probably happens before you have federal normalization. So there's a lot of road to hoe. Uh, But we already have uh, most states either with programs in existence or uh, that are considering some form of program to be launched. And so I think it's it's just a matter of a a brief period of time. Well, I'm sure you're talking to lobbyists and people in a variety of states. I mean, even the states that haven't come out publicly, are you getting the sense? Are you getting the word, maybe the back channels that there are many more states that are considering this possibility because they don't want to miss out on tax revenue when somebody wants to drive 15 miles over the border to the neighboring state. No, that's a great point. And I think compounding that is the fact that states that could create their own laws are able to preempt federal lawmaking and federal regulations. And that's very important in terms of establishing an ecosystem that the states can manage, uh, can really drive employment from, and can really drive tax revenue from. 
Um, every single state in the country, because of COVID, uh, because of what you've, you hear all the time, uh, is looking for ways to increase their availability, uh, not only of, of good jobs, but also tax revenue. Uh, this is the way to do it. And um, it's, a, it's a program that's and it's an initiative that's really found its feet. Uh, and, and I think that you're seeing resounding support on both sides of the political aisle. You got 12 analysts that cover the stock on the sell side, Nicholas, and their average price target's about three and a half bucks above where it is. The point I'm making is you've got sell side coverage. This is not some sort of outcast industry anymore. Do you feel like Wall Street has stepped up? Do you feel like you're getting the appropriate representation on the sell side, on the buy side, that, that you know, funds are saying, you know what, we may not have bought a, quote, pot stock a few years ago, but we will now. So I think you're seeing a lot of structural changes in the financial services environment. Uh, the U.S. investment banks really haven't played catch up with the exception of, say, Cowan uh, and a couple of others. But what, and we, as we look at the landscape, um, I think what's fascinating is that, you know, we've always had a very institutional bias from a capital structure and from sort of a, an operating perspective. Um, we had our first trillion dollar U.S. based mutual fund make an investment in the company just a, a few weeks ago. We were the first plant-touching company that uh, this particular mutual fund decided to invest in. And I think what it shows is that the velocity of the capital is finally going to start piling into the industry, uh, and people are going to pick their favorites. Uh, we were very fortunate to be in a position to be the first. Uh, we, we definitely don't think that this is the last such type investment that you hear about mm -hmm. or that you see, uh, but it really has been meaningful. Nick Lafitte, CEO of Columbia Care, showing that's up 10%. You know, everybody else is down today. Nicholas, you're doing something right. We appreciate you coming on. Have a good day. Good luck. Take Great, care. Thanks. thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you. All right, coming up, what do Lady Gaga, Michelle Obama, Meghan Markle, and Walmart all have in common? Here's a hint. It has to do with fashion. Story coming up. And move over, Robin Hood. There's a new trading app in town hoping to mow down the competition. The story of eToro coming up. Dow down 106. We're back after this. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Well, overall, stocks are mixed. The Dow is down for the first time in eight days. Yeah, the market is down for the first time in more than a week of trading. The NASDAQ, though, continuing its recent bounce back. All this, the Federal Reserve kicks off its two-day meeting today. Of course, their decision on rates Tomorrow, the bond market, as Rick Santelli told you, expecting a very dovish outcome. If it doesn't get that, you could have a taper tantrum. I could hit stocks, but we'll have to wait and see what happens at the Fed tomorrow. Let's check the stock sectors, IT, comm services, consumer staples, all your leaders, financials and energy, which have been leading the market overall this year, are some of your bigger laggards right now, though none are down too much. Energy down a little over 2%, but on top of what's been a Big time year. Now, let's get to Courtney Reagan for a CNBC News update. Courtney. Hi, Brian. Here's what's happening at this hour. A lawyer for a former police officer charged in George Floyd's death wants the jury to hear about a previous arrest during which Floyd was found with drugs. 
A prosecutor says it is an attempt to smear Floyd's character. For all the latest developments on the trial of Derek Chauvin, watch the news with Shepard Smith tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, in Britain, a court date has been set for a London police officer charged with kidnapping, kidnapping and murdering a young woman. 48-year-old Wayne Cousins will go on trial on October 25th for the death of Sarah Everard. And a warning, the following video may be disturbing for some. I'll give you a minute to look away. A horrific plane crash was caught on camera in Florida. A car was driving down a road when a small plane slammed into it. Officials say two people in the plane died, as well as a child in the car. An adult in the car survived the accident. I hate to end on that story, but Brian, back over to you. Uh, absolutely speechless around that video and uh, thoughts to the family in the car losing their kid because of, I mean, one in a trillion odds there. Just terrible stuff. I know. Courtney Reagan, thank you very much. Uh, by the way, Courtney, we'll see you again in... in uh, an upcoming segment. All right, your hot topics of the day. On that upcoming segment, something called eToro going after Robinhood. Walmart goes from fast fashion to high fashion. And Lululemon's latest challenge comes from Pittsburgh, as well as Tiger Woods making a new deal. We'll get to that. But right now, they call it show and tell. We show you the chart and then tell you the story, or we tell you both if you're listening on the radio because you don't have a like TV there. All right, today's chart, United Airlines down right now, but it's up 150% since the March lows of last year. All this is TSA passenger volume surpassing 1 million, going through a checkpoint for the fifth straight day yesterday. Wow. Here's United CEO Scott Kirby on where things stand now. There's still a long ways to go. We, you know, revenue's down 60% still in aviation and, and demand is still 50% lower than it was before. But we're clearly on the upswing. And as more and more people are getting vaccinated, uh, particularly leisure demand uh, is coming back and coming back at almost 100%. My guess is business demand is still six to nine months from really hitting its inflection point and coming back. Uh, but it really is encouraging to see and feel like we've turned the corner uh, and on are the road, road to recovery now. All right, welcome back. Well, a trading platform battle. Walmart goes high end and Tiger's New Deal. It is time now for Rapid Fire here with their takes. Dom Chu, Courtney Reagan, and Michael Santoli. Let us go. First topic, the fintech face-off. Robinhood competitor eToro announcing it is going public at a $10 billion deal through, what else, a SPAC, backed by dealmaker Betsy Cohen. It offers commission-free trading with 20 million users in dozens of countries. As part of the deal, it'll sell shares to big names like SoftBank's Vision Fund and Daniel Loeb's Third Point. In fact, Loeb praising the move on Twitter today, calling eToro, quote, a remarkable company. Michael Santoli, here we have a company that arguably, I mean, you know, we do this for a living. Maybe you're an expert on them. I'm not, not familiar with them at all. Now they have a $10 billion valuation. What do we know about eToro? I'm only slightly familiar with it, uh, Brian, but it has come on fast. Um, well, first of all, it's just a combination of so many things that are right of the moment. The retail trading frenzy, commission-free. Obviously, crypto is a big piece of this as well. It's what uh, they trade through. So Robinhood and Coinbase all in one. Uh, and then, of course, SPACs. And finally, social investing. They offer this ability for users to essentially just ride along on some lead traders' automatic strategies. You basically just, whatever somebody does, your, your account copies it. Now, I think the 
jury's out as to whether that makes a lot of sense, but it's sort of formalizing a lot of what we got used to with the Wall Street bets phenomenon, where there is these kind of stampedes uh, and this sort of collective action in certain areas. I, I don't think it's going to be zero sum with Robinhood. I think it's going to get people excited about the entire premise of having a play or a few plays on this new world of trading. Yeah, Dom Chu, I mean, is is more better here, I wonder? I mean, is it, are we getting to a world where it's just too much access or is this the perfect amount? What's your take? It's the democratization of finance and investing. This is anytime you open up accessibility to as many people as you possibly can, I view it as a good thing. You want as many people to be involved as you can. When you look at eToro, though, the, the, the excitement about this to me is is about maybe a primer, right? It's it's kind of like the undercard, and I don't want to call it that, but it's this warm-up round for what's going to happen eventually when Robinhood actually goes public. So these both these companies are in the same wheelhouse in terms of market cap or size. I mean, it's about $10.5 billion in terms of this deal for eToro. I believe the last funding round for Robinhood was somewhere in that 11 to $12 billion range. So you're talking about a mid-cap broker-dealer. This is going to be one of those examples about whether or not there is still an appetite for this kind of a, a deal going public. And it's, it appears as though there is. And, and by the way, if you take a look at the things that Mike was just talking about, this is striking while the iron is hot on so many fronts. And by the way, as a person who is probably one of the last of the older generation of Wall Street folks who invested in a certain way, this is to me very exciting to watch because when my yeah. Wall Street career ended, this was just starting, this idea of being able to go and socially and, and, and kind of herd mentality, go after free trading. This is very fun to watch. I think I paid 130 bucks to buy my first like eight shares of stock back in 1995. It was a company called Dendrite. It was a software company based in Morristown, New Jersey. All right, nobody cares. All right, next up, Walmart's Fashion Flex. The retailer upping its apparel game by hiring Project Runway judge Brandon Maxwell as creative director for its higher-end scoop. There it is. And free assembly brands. The designer has worked with A-listers like... The ones we mentioned in the tease, Lady Gaga, former First Lady Michelle Obama, and Maxwell's first collection for Walmart set to launch by 2022. Courtney Reagan, is this going to work? Is this going to maybe not bring people into stores? I don't know if we care about bringing into stores anymore, but get people to buy Walmart, whatever the platform may be. So this is interesting. Brandon Maxwell is going to be the creative director for these two private label brands that Walmart has in apparel. It's not his name. So it's not Brandon Maxwell for Walmart, which I guess is okay because I think unless you're in certain fashion circles or you're, you really pay attention to high fashion, you may not be familiar with him anyways. I think what Walmart is going after here is this private label apparel. In general, apparel has a higher margin, and that's something that Walmart is really chasing, particularly as its online sales market continues to grow. So in general, apparel has a higher margin. And then if you have a private label that you control, sort of soup to nuts, the supply chain there, that has an even higher margin. So that's what Walmart wants. Walmart has not had as much success in the apparel private label market as you might say a Target has when it comes to buzz. Walmart doesn't give us a lot of details about that, and they do yep. have several private label brands that are $2 billion brands, but it's not the buzz that Target has had. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll stay. By the way, Maxwell from Longview, Texas, almost hard up against the Louisiana border, yeah. Lake Texoma. I mean, you know, he's, he's from salt of the earth. We'll see 
If that translates into sure. Walmart, Courtney, stay there. I'm coming right back to you. Just a rebound. All right, <laughs> okay. speaking of retail, Dick's Sporting Goods is getting into the mid men's athleisure market, launching a new line called VRST. I assume that's versatile and some sort of new lingo, lingo featuring all the comfy stuff you need from home, from joggers to hoodies. The website is live right now. It's going to roll out across doors in the coming weeks. Prices, 30 bucks to 120 So 30 sounds good to me, Courtney. 120 sounds kind of pricey, right? Going up against Lululemon. Again, is there a market for more competition, especially we're talking about, quote, you know, reopening and getting back to what we were doing? Maybe the athleisure, or as I call it, laztastic, is over. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, I think so you know, many you times can buy, you can use that laztastic, by the way. That's all you. I think I might. I think I might. It's, uh, it sounds pretty good to me, and I'm sick of saying athleisure anyway, so I want to mix up the vernacular anyway. But we all keep thinking that athleisure is over. And then it's not. It just doesn't seem to be over. And the pandemic really sort of just like re-energized our love for athleisure. Lots of surveys say when people go back to the office, they'll be a little bit more casual. Lululemon, of course, has done really, really well, even at those higher prices. Will Dick Sporting Goods be able to compete with that with, again, its own private label brand? It's possible. Look, Dick Sporting Good actually has some pretty fantastic private label brands. When I say fantastic, meaning the success that they've seen from them. So Carrie Underwood's Kalia brand there. They have some private label golf brands that have done really well for them. Again, it's improving that margin in a category that shoppers are looking for. Yeah. And Dick Sporting Goods has put up some really impressive comps during the course of the pandemic. So I think it has a shot but everything is very, very competitive in that space right now. VRST, yeah. though, that's kind of a mouthful, right? Oh, I wish they went with the simpler name. Yeah, and by the way, Lays-tastic, fantastic. Dick's Sporting Goods stock up 260% in a year. Right. There you go. All right, finally, Tiger Woods getting back in the game, sort of. Okay, Woods signing a deal with Take-Two Interactive to feature his name and likeness in a new series of games come less than a month. He was badly injured in a car accident, putting his real-life golf career in jeopardy. No word on financial terms of the deal or when the game might be released, but PGA Tour 2K, franchise acquired by Take-Two, already hit nearly 2 billion units. Dom Chu, listen, we all want Tiger Woods to recover as a person, as a golfer, whatever it may be with his kids. Get out there, see him on the course, walk it again, doing well. That said, what do you make of this deal? Well, what I make of this deal is it continues a huge trend over the last decade plus where professional athletes are looking towards their next chapters. Arguably the, the person for all of sports, not just golf, that really fathered this movement about being a business person and controlling their brand in addition to their performance on the field is Arnold Palmer. The late golf legend really kind of helped solidify that, that notion that professional athletes have a real business life and acumen that they can develop. With Tiger Woods, nobody has done it better from a dollar-for-dollar dollar perspective. Yeah. He is everywhere for it. What I would say here is this. The, the, the video game franchises we most associated with Tiger Woods, of, of course, were EA Sports, right? Tiger Woods Golf, it's in the game. What's going to be curious to me is whether or not they can translate that kind of brand recognition for a platform in electronic arts as a publisher that he was so closely yeah. associated with, now to taking it to the, the, the 2K platform that Take-Two yeah. has. I'm not sure it happens right away. Mike Santoli, listen, a big deal, big name there. But again, is this kind of like 
lumped into those stocks that, that are the stay-at-home names. Is that trade over? I mean, at, whether it's athleisure or, or video games? I think that of all the uh, subsectors that got lumped into the stay-at-home, work-from-home trade, video games probably had the longest-lived uh, sort of secular uh, advance beforehand and probably has more life afterwards. So, you know, it's not so much that, uh, that basically they, they make every money off every moment you've spent doing it as long as you're in the habit of playing games. So I don't think this one is one that it falls off the cliff just because people have been stuck at home. I'm sure, you know, eyeball hours are going to go down, but it doesn't yeah. to me mean the publishers are going to suffer for it. Just chilling in your VRST, ordering DoorDash, playing some <laughs> Tiger Woods 2K. Doesn't sound too bad, actually. Dom Chu, Courtney Reagan, and Michael Santoli. Thank you all very much. Rapid fire. It's over. All right, coming up. Speaking of golf, fresh off his 2021 Players Championship golfer Justin Thomas will join us to talk the PGA, COVID, Tiger Woods, and whether he plays video games. It's all coming up next. Dow's down about 100. We're back right after this. PGA Tour golfer Justin Thomas winning the 2021 Players Championship this weekend. This is his 14th PGA Tour victory, making him just the fourth golfer in history to win the Players, a FedEx Cup, a major, and a World Champions event. Joining us now is Justin Thomas. Justin, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations on that win. Obviously, a lot to talk about here, but it, the last couple of months, obviously, professionally and personally for you, has been a time of, of learning, some controversy and some change. What have you learned about yourself, about the game, about everything in the last few months? First off, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been a, a whirlwind to say the least. Um, it, it's been a lot of thinking, a lot of, I don't want to say second guessing, but you know, just like in golf, when things are, are going poorly, uh, you have to look at it as an opportunity to try to grow and be better and, and really get stronger, uh, both physically and mentally because of it. And I think that's something that I've, I've put in, been putting in some hard work to do. And uh, I was glad to see uh, some results and it pay off finally last week. Yeah, and how do you do that? I mean, how, how do you take what, what, what we're going through as a country and obviously per mm -hmm. professionally and personally and then putting that aside to not only win, but win, I think, in either at or near record-setting fashion? What's the mental trick? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing for me is understanding I can only control what I can control. I mean, there's, there's always going to be things going on, whether it's in my life, outside of my life, um, friends, family, things in the country, whatever it might be, uh, that I just can't control. I can't do anything about. And at the end of the day, the only thing I can do, I can have any sort of, um, I guess any sort of say or, or input on what's going to happen is, is, in my own life or, or people that are close to me. So I can only help and do as much as I can. And then everything else, um, you know, I can't worry about or stress about too much because, uh, again, it's out of my control. And that's, uh, that's sometimes the hardest part to get over sometimes. And obviously the tour has changed just like all of our lives with COVID. What is it mm -hmm. like? What's the difference on tour now versus pre pandemic? What are the protocols like? What's the day-to-day -day like? Obviously, no fans or very few fans, but inside the game, Justin, what is it like? Uh, it's it's quite a bit different, but now, especially being back, you know, once we got into Florida, we're able to have some fans, which has been awesome. I mean, that's that's why it's why a lot of us play. It's 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 what creates the buzz and the energy at these events. I mean, I think 
there was maybe 10,000 a day of players. I might be wrong on that, but so to be able to play in front of fans again was incredible. I mean, that's to have that energy and have the adrenaline and the buzz, especially on the weekend, especially in the back nine on Sunday, when you're trying to win a golf tournament, it's something that you just can't create without them there. If that makes sense, you obviously have the buzz and the adrenaline, um, somewhat trying to win a tournament when fans aren't there, but with them back was huge. And in terms of the protocols, the tour has been great. I mean, it's just a part of our routine. Now we get in a day early or whenever the specific player wants to, you go through testing, uh, you wait for your testing to get back, you go pick up your lanyard and then, you know, the dining options are a little bit different, but I mean, they're still providing as much as they can for us. And, and they've done a great job and yeah. not jumping into it too quick. You know, they're slowly letting the wives and girlfriends back out and then it's the family and then it's, you know, maybe a couple more personnel and then we get a couple tickets and then, you know, slowly and hopefully we'll be able to get back to normalcy as soon as possible. So you're right now between games, obviously just sitting at home trading what Dogecoin, Bitcoin. What's your <laughs> what's your investment fund of choice, Justin? I don't mean long term, well balanced portfolio. Are you investing just for fun? You do have a little excess I, I, cash lying around. Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you that I'm this day trading savant and I'm just I'm crushing it every day. And you know, I was one of the guys that got into to GameCast and AMC the you know the morning of when it when it blew up, but. Uh, I don't exactly know enough about those fields yet to, to be involved in it. And I think that's been the fun part for me is, is obviously having the wealth that I do at a young age, I'm, I'm wanting to learn more. And I mean, I think even the last time I came yeah. on and spoke, you know, I, I feel like I know a little bit more than I did then, but for me right now, I, I'm kind of wanting to get into the private equity world a little bit. You know, I've, I've, I partnered with with Whoop and invested in them uh, about a year and a half or so ago, and it's a brand that I love and believe in. And that for me, that's the biggest thing is I want to be involved in brands and companies that I think can not only help myself but really change other people's lives as well. And and I think being involved in some of those, and, and obviously that's it's not the safe play, if you will, um, and, and could could potentially have a huge upside. But yeah. the main thing is that I, I have belief in it, and I think that it could uh, impact people's lives and myself included. Justin Thomas, PGA Tour Pro. Justin, a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on The Exchange and CNBC. Have a good day and good luck at the next tourney. Take care. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, all right. You're welcome. Well, that does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.